that said a little bit earlier, I've enjoyed song service thus far and have somewhat of a renewed appreciation for what we have. Um, enjoyed being with uh, Grace Primitive Baptist Church in Houston last week. Um, just was able to sit there and listen. They had a, they had a baptism at church uh, that day. A, a fellow a sister church that didn't have a baptistry, so they came up and fellowship with them. So uh, I got to hear two uh, pretty good sermons that day uh, and sit and listen and learn. And I enjoyed being there amongst God's people. They were kind people. And uh, this this whole week, um, this whole week since I've been back in town, there's been one thing that's centrally been on my mind. And that's found in the book of Psalms, chapter 89, um, and the 15th verse. And the psalmist simply writes to us in Psalms 89:15, Blessed is the people that know the joyful sound. Blessed is the people that know the joyful sound. A lot of sounds described in Scripture. For example, you can turn to Second uh, Kings chapter seven, and in Second Kings chapter seven, there's an invading army, a uh, camp in a particular location, uh, and there's men standing on the outside of this army, and they're thinking, well, there's a famine on one hand. If we stay here, we're going to die. But if we go over to the army. We may still die, or they'll keep us as slaves and we'll live. Either way, we're going to die, or we might live with them. Let's just go over there and see what's happening. But they get over there, and the interesting thing is in Second Kings chapter 7, verse 6, the army's gone. And the Bible tells us that the army had fled in the night because God had caused them to hear the noise of chariots and the noise of horses, and even the noise of a great army. Here's an imaginary noise. It, it didn't exist anywhere except in their minds. God can do anything He feels like it. This is why Paul reminds the church at Corinth that God uh, uses that which is not, or that which is nothing, to bring to nothing the plans and schemes of the mighty among us. You know, we're, we're sitting here trying to figure out, you know, how can we stop the politicians? How can we stop the Russians? How can we stop this, that, and the other? What great plan can the church come up with? What greater plan can you come up with than a God who speaks to people's minds and hearts and you don't even have to be And that is an interesting thought right there. That is a very interesting thought that here is this army Asleep. Here is this army out by themselves. Now, if it took the preaching of the gospel to convince people to do something or not do something, where's the preacher in this situation? If God can't reach you unless the preacher gets there, and God can't reach you unless you're willing to let God help you, where's the free will in this? All of that goes out the window when the sovereignty of God Steps on stage. This army hears, there's, this band hears this noise of an army that's not there. Someone one time had once said that if, uh, if you're ever at home and you feel alone, put on a scary movie and turn off the lights. In about five minutes, you won't think you're alone anymore. You know, your, your imagination is a powerful thing, is it not? This is why Paul tells the church at Corinth, casting down every imagination that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ. One, one of your greatest enemies is your vain, empty imagination. When those ladies that were going to anoint the body of Christ on uh, that Sunday morning, Traveling to the tomb, there was a question that come up amongst them. You know, we, they're, they're reasoning amongst themselves. Well, we've got our spices. We're ready to do what we want to do. But there's this, 
There's one thing in our way. There's this giant rock in front of the tomb. Who's going to roll this stone away for us? Well, you know the story, right? They get there. Rock's already been rolled away. They're trying to solve a problem that doesn't exist. They're also trying to solve a problem God never asked them to solve. And that's probably one of the biggest things that you and I have. Solving problems, what ain't none of our business. Trying to fix things God never said, I need you to fix. But you know, in His grace and in His mercy, here was really a problem that really didn't need to be solved. But He did it anyways. I mean, he could have just walked out of the tomb walking through the walls. Stone wasn't, wasn't removed for him to get out. The stone was removed for them to get in and see that he wasn't there. 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 8. Apostle Paul makes this statement. He says, if the trumpet make an uncertain sound. Who shall prepare himself to the battle? It's interesting the number of times that the apostle uses musical instruments in the New Testament, not as permission for the church to use them, but in parallel to something else. And what he's talking about in 1 Corinthians is the proclamation of the gospel. He's talking about the preacher. If the preacher himself makes an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself properly for the battle? So, for example, the, the, the world around us is a mixed up and messed up, convoluted, confused state of mind right now. If I were to put on a straw hat and a poncho, and walk around with some maracas in my hand. Uh, some of these brainwashed, uneducated people out here would call me uh, racist. Um, culturally appropriating is what they call that. Cultural appropriation. You're taking somebody else's culture, the Latin culture, and you're pulling it on yourself. You're not Latin. You're not from Mexico. That doesn't belong to you. They invented it. Leave it alone. Okay. I stand up here and take a bucket of paint, paint my body a non-white color. I'd be canceled, ridiculed, run out of the city for cultural appropriation. That's why you can't watch that old show Amos and Andy anymore. You had two white people dressing up as black people, and black faces is an insult the black people. It wasn't an insult when two black people dressed up as white people and made a movie called White Chicks, but that's a different story, I guess. But are you following me down this rabbit hole? I've been culturally appropriated because I put on something what doesn't belong to me. However, if I stand up here and I put on a wig, makeup, a dress, and high heels, I'm now rewarded as being Courageous and brave. Same concept. That's not cultural appropriation. It's more like gender appropriation. See, if you the, the confusion that the world is in right now, the, the sour notes that the world is blowing right now, is very simple. If you take a deserted island, and you put 20 men on it and 20 women on it, you come back in a thousand years, you're probably going to have a thriving community. Because you have 20 men, 20 women. They're going to get together, procreate, create a community. Correct? Simple, right? Take the same island, put 20 men and 20 trans women on the same island. Come back in a thousand years, what are you going to have? The dead corpses and the rotting bones of 40 dead men what you're going to have. If the trumpet make an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? People nowadays don't know how to face the future because the wrong squeaky notes are being sounded 
from positions of supposed authority. If you're, if you're in an army and you're, you're headed for war, it's important that the bugler sound charge when you need to advance, not sound retreat. And it's important that he sounds retreat when you need to leave and not the advance. It's important when you sound reveille or when you sound taps that you do it at the appropriate time and in the appropriate manner. But I am convinced that there are multitudes today who do not know the true joyful sound of gospel preaching. Did you ever notice in Luke chapter 4 when it says that the Spirit of the Lord was upon the Lord Christ Jesus to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord? Have you ever noticed the number of times that the Bible says the word proclaiming with the gospel? The gospel is a proclamation. It's not a proposition. There's a difference between a proposition and offering and a proclamation of, hear ye, hear ye, this is the news, this has occurred. When the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor, it was not a proposition of what had occurred. It was simply a declaration and a proposition. This happened. The gospel is the same way. He says, if the trumpet make an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? But then you get over here in the book of Exodus. Exodus 32. Israel has proved to us, at least for the first, uh, well, we addressed chapter 15 the other day. So you, you really start from 15 on to 32. You start at the beginning if you feel like it. it. It doesn't matter to me. But for sake of argument, you start at 15 and go all the way to 32. And Israel has proved over and over and over again how undeserving they are of God's mercies. Every time God does something, they immediately forget it in the next day or two and go back to their own wretched ways. In other words, Israel, just like you, just like me in so many ways. But you get to Exodus 32, and Moses has gone up on the mount here. He'll be the first one in history uh, to download information from cloud onto tablets and deliver it to people. So he's up here on this mountain talking to the Lord, getting this information from God. He's up there 40 days. Israel down here at the base of the mountain, they don't know what's happened. They're murmuring and complaining again. And they look at Aaron and says, we don't know what's happened to him. We don't know where he's at. Um, he's gone, been gone 40 days. We'll just, we'll just put somebody else in his place. If you are concerned about your position at uh, the job you work at, if you are afraid to go on vacation, if you're afraid to take a sick day, sick day because you may lose your job, guess what? The day you die, your seat will be filled the next morning. It's just the way it is. Anytime a preacher thinks he's too important and he can't leave the congregation, guess what? I will die. Y'all realize that, right? And y'all be looking for a new pastor the next morning. That's just the way life is. That's the way it happens. Moses goes away and here Israel is out there looking for something new, something else. And so it's at this point that they look at Aaron and say, all right, Aaron, what are you going to do? And Aaron makes this golden calf and sets up this golden calf and says, these be thy gods, O Israel. Well, that's a lie. That trumpet's making an uncertain sound right there. As a matter of fact, I wasn't even thinking about that until this point. He's, he's blowing some sour notes, isn't he? This, this idol was not the, the God that brought them out of Israel. This idol didn't exist until five minutes ago. This whole group of folk here who are murmuring and complaining and fretting and worrying, now that you've got this golden calf set up, it says in Exodus 32 and verse 6 that the people sat down to eat and drink, rose up to play. Oh, they fickle, aren't they? 
Going from complaining on one hand to, to playing on the other hand. Their, their whole attitude is changed in a moment. But it wasn't changed because God changed it. That's, that's sometimes, that's what we need to understand about this. Their attitude was not changed because God got in the situation and changed their attitude. Their attitude was changed because their circumstances changed. Now, <clears throat> if you were to come up here and break my leg, I don't think my attitude would be the best right now. I'm going to give you that. My attitude might change just a hairy little bit. Once I get out of that cast, you know, four months from now, or whatever it is, and I'm back to walking again, my attitude might be a little bit different because my circumstances have changed. But if you're requiring all your circumstances to be pleasant or your attitude to be pleasant, the devil going to make sure you have a long, hard all circumstances were not pleasant circumstances. When he's over here in a Philippian jail in Philippians chapter 4, and he writes, uh, Rejoice in the Lord always. He's not standing out on the street corner in prosperity and in joy. He is in a Philippian jail, and he writes in the midst of his prison, Rejoice in the Lord always. Because his joy wasn't in circumstances. His joy was in God who doesn't change. But now let's notice this. These people sat down to eat and drink and they rose up to play. And the Bible tells us that uh, there in Exodus 32, what about uh, verse 7, verse 8, that as Moses come down off that mountain, there's a man halfway up the mountain named Joshua. And Joshua makes a statement. He says, there is a noise of war in the camp. I hear something down there, and it sounds to me, and you would think that Joshua being uh, this great military leader, you think he know what war sounds like, right? He says, there's a problem down there. And what I hear is the noise of war. But in the next verse, the comment is made, and he said, I don't know if I don't know if Joshua figured this out or if Moses said to Joshua this statement, but here's, here's an even more dire uh, understanding of the situation. He it said, it's not, it's not the voice of those who are being overtaken or be, those being overcome. It's not the voice of those who are striving for mastery. No, it's, it's the noise of the singers that I hear. How has your music changed, oh, just in the last 50 years? Not what it used to be, is it? It's not the same she-bop, doo-wop, bop, she-bop. Not that anymore, is it? Quite different. Matter of fact, some of the stuff that you hear nowadays does sound like the noise of war. And you want to know the saddest part about that? That hasn't just crept into the church. Excuse me. And I use the term church in its loosest form. That has not just crept into modern Christianity. It dove headlong and was accepted. And it's nothing but the noise of war. This is what the Bible says. The Bible says, Blessed are they that know the joyful sound. See, the sound itself is joyful. Not necessarily the people that are involved. You know, you kind of have to you kind of have to look at that a little bit. It's not, it's not necessarily the people that are involved because there frankly have been times where I was not filled with a lot of joy when I came to church. But the sound of the wonderful singing of the saints that I heard brought joy to me. 
The Bible discusses several pleasant sounds. There's the sound of the Holy Spirit. There's the sound of singing. There's the sound of preaching. John chapter 3, when Jesus is teaching Nicodemus, He's paralleling the, the blowing of the wind with the moving of the Holy Spirit. And He says in John chapter 3, He says two things. He said, uh, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom. I, you know, being a primitive Baptist is not that hard, y'all, right? It's really not that hard. The Scripture says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom. How foolish is a man then to stand up and say, if you'll just open your eyes, you could see it. Yeah, Stevie Wonder, why, why are you blind? Are you blind because you're stubborn? Why don't you just open your eyes? Why don't you just decide to open your eyes? That'd be kind of, that'd be kind of ridiculous, wouldn't it? You, you, you think I was kind of hateful if I looked at a blind person and said, your problem is you're stubborn and hard-headed, right? Yeah, preachers tell their congregations all the time, your biggest problem is that you're just stubborn and hard-headed. No. The biggest problem with the wicked is they're dead in sin. That's their biggest problem. And until the Spirit of God touches them, they'll not see the kingdom. They'll not understand or perceive the kingdom in its glory and in its beauty and in its usefulness to us. And then Jesus says, except a man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom. None of this will make any sense to the wicked. None of this made any sense to you until God opened your eyes and showed you what in all reality was right in front of you the whole time. But Jesus makes a statement in John chapter 3 and verse 8. He says, the wind blows where it listeth. The term listeth means pleases. The wind blows where it pleases. And thou hearest the sound thereof. Canst not tell from whence it cometh, nor whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Everyone that is born of the Spirit is born exactly the same way. They are born by the moving of the Holy Spirit. There is a pleasant sound, a wonderful sound that comes to you from God Himself. It cannot be directed to you. It cannot be thrown by the minister. It cannot be given by others in the congregation. It is under the direct operation of the Holy Spirit Himself. Hear the sound thereof. But... Well, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, the, the apostles, the disciples have gathered uh, after the ascension of Christ. And Christ had told them that you need to tarry, into Jeru tarry in Jerusalem until you are due from, with power from on high. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2 and verse 2 that when the Holy Spirit of God filled that room, it was the sound as of a rushing mighty wind. We're in the, we're in the tornado country, right? Now, I, uh, I've only been in no, I've never been to a tornado. I've been to a hurricane. Yeah, hurricanes are in the water. Tornadoes on the land. Did I get that right? Yeah, we were down there at Gulf Shores two or three years ago when, when that hurricane came right over our condo. Whoo! You talk about something that got your attention. You talk about something that they said when you hear the sound of a train. You hear the sound of a train, it's almost too late. But it's a very distinct sound. But you know, there are times where perhaps you're sitting out on the back porch 
on a delightful spring day. And you just you feel this breeze come through. It's kind of what happened later in the book of Acts when uh, Barnabas uh, went down to Antioch. And the Scripture says that when he had seen the grace of God. Well, how, how do you see the grace of God? How do you, how, you, you ever looked out the, the window and said, hey, come see the wind? You ain't never done that, have you? But, but what do you see? You don't see the wind. You don't see the grace of God as much as you see the effects of the wind and the effects of the grace of God. So Barnabas gets down there to Antioch and what does he see? He sees the grace of God in action. He sees its effect on those that are around him. If you are looking for the effects of the Holy Spirit, you're going to have to first know how the Holy Spirit works in order to recognize what He does. So, so I had a lady ask me the other day about this revival thing that's going on uh, at this particular college in, in town where they've had this 24-hour revival and that's for the last, what, two weeks? Y'all heard, anybody, y'all heard about this? Some yes, some no. Asbury College, they had a chapel meeting a couple of weeks ago and chapel meeting never really broke up. And they've had 24-hour revival ever since. Now, what do you think of that? Number one, I ain't there. So I'm not the person to ask. But lady did ask me, Surely the Holy Spirit is not confined to just the primitive Baptist. Oh, he is not confined to the primitive Baptist. No, 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 no is he confined to the primitive Baptist. However, the Holy Spirit is confined to his character. Catch that? He is confined to act as his character is. Not how we think he should act. And that is very important. If you don't understand the character of the Holy Spirit, you're not going to be able to recognize it when you see it. Barnabas gets down there and he sees this activity of the grace of God. Well, <clears throat> one of the things that you can, that you can notice about this, is Paul said to the uh, church at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, he said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. How is it that Paul could look at these folks at Thessalonica and know that they were the elect of God? Is there, is there a little E stamped on their forehead? said elect? Probably not. I mean, there are some birthmarks that you have. The letter E on your forehead is not one of them. Well, I know Paul ascended into the third heaven. You know, he describes that in 1 Corinthians. Maybe he got a, a peek at the Lamb's book of life. Not very seriously, that's what it is. No, he says, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. I know that you are elected of God because our gospel came not unto you in word only, but in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. For from you sounded out the Word. One of the ways that you can recognize that the grace of God and the Holy Spirit has moved upon a person is that from them sounds out the Word of God. You see it in their preaching or you hear it in their singing. This is something that's kind of been missing from... uh, uh, some uh, so-called Christianity in our world today. They call it Christian music. They call themselves Christians. But really, Stephen Curtis Chapman, and it wasn't, was it Stephen Curtis Chapman? That's not right. Uh, name just went out from me. Stephen Clay, I believe is his name. Anyways, he wrote a book called I Surrender. And in his book, he described his Lyrics to his songs as your God or girlfriend lyrics. 
You can apply them to either one. Well, so for example, for example, a, a very popular verse is Philippians 4.13. Y'all know what this verse is. You may not know it's Philippians 4.13, but you know the verse. Repeat after me. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. But in these new translations, these new versions of the Bible, I, I can do all things through Him that strengtheneth me. That ain't the same thing. Those texts are not the same thing. One, you know who your strength is. The Lord Christ is your strength. The other one might be God, might be your girlfriend. Might be your husband. Might be your father. I don't know. I can do all things through whoever strengthens me. Your higher power. Which one y'all want? I'm I'm happy with Christ. That's right. I'm, I'm satisfied with Him. Paul says, For from you sounded out the Word of God. Macedonia, he says in Achaia, in every place your faith, the God Word was spread abroad. That's what he says that, that Thessalonica church there in 1 Thessalonians. Blessed are the people that know the joyful sound. In Psalm 95, there is a call to worship uh, about three different times within this psalm. Let's uh, explore just for a moment the joyful sound of singing saints. Psalm 95, it says, O come and let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto Him with psalms. Here's a command. Or here's an exhortation. Come. Let us sing before the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise under the rock of our salvation. So you may be of the opinion that, yeah, I can, I can make a noise. It's not very joyful to those that hear me, but it is a noise. Well, first off, Those that are around you are not the ones you're singing to. Now, you might be embarrassed. Rightfully so. It's just human nature. But when you're singing to the Lord, people around you just have to get over it. It's just all there is to it. If the person singing next to you is singing terrible, you just need to sing a little louder. I remember uh, Elder John Mizell told this story of a church that he was pastoring many years ago. And there was a little lady that sat up here right on the front row. And she made the awfulest, squeaky sound you ever seen in your life. Uh, the only thing worse than somebody who is tone deaf is somebody who sings really loud that's tone deaf. And if you've ever tried to lead singing to a bunch of people who are tone deaf, man, <laughs> make you want to rip your ears off. You say, you are being mean and cruel. I'm telling you the truth. But when you find out about this little lady, you find out that she was a paranoid schizophrenic. And she was terrified of everything. So the fact that she could leave her house, drive to the church, and get out, walk across the parking lot, and come into a building was grace in and of itself. And the only joyful time that she had that whole week was meeting the saints of God on Sunday morning. You going to take that from her? No. 
You just sing a little bit louder. Because that joyful noise is not necessarily going to you. That joyful noise is going to the ears of God Almighty. He says, come and let us worship. Come and let us sing. Come into His presence. Verse 6, O come and let us worship and bow down and let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. He's given us two commands in this passage. In both commands, He has answered with this reason. Verse 3, For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. Verse 7, For He is our God. And we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. It kind of reminds me of Psalm 100 verse 3. Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He that hath made us and not we ourselves. We've not evolved into this. He made us. He made us not only as humans, He made us spiritual creations. It is not the Gospel that was preached to us and we evolved from a goat to a sheep. God has made us. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. And He says, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. You couple with that uh, Psalm 47. Psalm 47, verses 5 and 6. Lord, the, the writer says here in Psalm 47 about verse 5, God has gone up with a shout. The Lord with the sound of a trumpet. But notice that very next verse here. He says, sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises unto our King, sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth, sing ye praises with understanding. How many times did He tell you to do that? Sing praises unto God, sing praises. Sing praises to our King, sing praises. Sing ye praises with understanding. Five times He exhorts us to sing unto the Lord. You say, well, that's, a, that's an interesting Old Testament passage, but what does that really mean to us? My friends, I submit to you that there is a heat mo understanding in this passage and possibly some people We'll give credit for it. Let's read that again. God has gone up with a shout, right? Is that what your text says? That's verse 5. God has gone up, the Lord, with a sound trumpet. And after He's gone up, we're commanded, sing praises to our God, sing praises. Y'all jump in this fence with me? No need to. Let's go back to the book of Exodus. When Aaron the high priest was uh, established in his role, there's something that is said concerning him. Exodus 28. I'm going to read a couple of scriptures here. We may just read them and leave them. And then we'll kind of put them together here in a little bit. But Exodus 28. Verse 33. Beneath and beneath upon the hem of it, thou shalt make pomegranates of blue and of purple and of scarlet round about the hem thereof and bells of gold between them round about. A golden bell of a pomegranate, a golden bell of a pomegranate, Excuse me, a golden bell and a pomegranate. A golden bell and a pomegranate upon the hem of the robe round about. And it shall be upon Aaron to minister. Listen to this. And his sound shall be heard 
when he goeth in unto the holy place before the Lord, and when he cometh out, that he die not. So Aaron the high priest has got to sacrifice. He's got to go into the tabernacle. He's got to make this offering. And as he walks, he jingles the whole way. Jingle, 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 jingle. You say, what a wretched noise. No! As long as he's jingling, he's alive. So if you're on the outside, isn't that a joyful sound? See, that? look, look what we're getting at here. He's jingling all the way to the holy place. He's going to go into the holy By the way, when, when you were reading this, did you catch the point? Another scripture where it says you're supposed to tie a rope to his leg. That rope goes all the way out to the front. Because if the jingling stops, you've got to drag him out. You can't go in there and get him. That's what that's for. Drag him out. Throw the dead man away. So as he goes into the holy place, as he goes to make sacrifice, his sound shall be heard. Okay. Uh, Leviticus, uh, Leviticus 25. In Leviticus 25, and of course leading up to this, you have some very, very, very detailed descriptions of worship. As Sonny Piles once said, if you don't exit in Exodus, you'll probably leave in Leviticus because it is extremely boring. Because Exodus and Leviticus and parts of Numbers, Deuteronomy, First Chronicles, good gravy. The first 22 chapters of Chronicles are nothing but he begat, he begat, he begat, he begat. Why is it so boring and dull? Because not everything in life that's worth doing is enjoyable. Not everything in life that has meaning is filled with delirious happiness. Especially being married, especially having children, especially pastoring a church, especially going to work. But you do get here in Leviticus 25 and you hear about this year of Jubilee. The 50th year is the year of Jubilee. And notice what it says here in Leviticus 25 verse 8. Thou shalt number seven Sabbaths of years unto thee, seven times seven years, and the space of the seven Sabbaths of years shall be unto thee forty and nine years. Then shalt thou cause the trumpet of the jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month. In the day of atonement shall you make the trumpet sound throughout all your land. There's something happening here. There's a sacrifice that's been made. And there's a celebration in recognition to that, the year of Jubilee, the year of release, when all the prisoners were returned back to their homes. All the slaves were released and returned in the year of Jubilee, when the trumpet sounded. What in the world are we talking about? I'd like you to, uh, well, Psalms uh, 24. Psalm 24 and verse 3. There's actually Psalms 22, 23, and 24 are all sort of messianic psalms. They, they depict a separate aspect of the life of Christ. 22 is about the cross. Go back and read it. 23, the Lord is my shepherd. About the shepherd's crook. 24, about a crown. You have the cross, you have the crook, you have the crown. 
And there's a question that is asked in Psalm 24. Verse 3, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who shall stand in His holy place? Well, now we read about we read about Aaron earlier, right? He's jingling to go do what? Stand where? In the holy place. Who's going to do that? Well, the Scripture is, He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. At this point, I don't care who you are. This idea of progressive sanctification, that you can live a life that is so holy you get closer and closer and closer to God that you live without sin, is not taught in God's Scripture. The exact opposite is taught. 1 John tells us, 1 John chapter 1 says, if we say that we have not sinned, we deceive ourselves and make God a liar. If we say that we have no sin, notice that sin is singular. He says His Word is not in us. It's one thing to say that I haven't sinned. Haven't done anything. Something completely different to say, I have no sin nature in me and can do no wrong. There is only one person who ever walked the face of this planet who did no sin, who had no guile found in him. There was only one person who ever walked this planet who never did anything wrong, had never had any sin in him, who never could do anything wrong, and it wasn't you. It was the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Who shall ascend into the holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. Verse 7. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Jesus Christ is the only one who had the right and privilege to walk into that holy place with clean hands and a pure heart. Now, Aaron made a sound as he went into the holy place. You're to blow the trumpet in the year of Jubilee the day of deliverance. God has gone up with a shout. The Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Now putting all this together. Acts chapter 1. Jesus Christ ascends back to heaven. And there's an angel there standing with the disciples. And they're all gazing up into heaven. And you remember, you remember the question that the angel asked? Why stand you here gazing up into the glory? Why stand you here gazing up into the clouds? Acts chapter 1 verse 11, he says, This same Jesus. Not a different Jesus. This same Jesus that you saw go away is going to come in like manner as He went away. See, isn't that what that text says? Is that about what it says? I think I might have hit at it. But the angel says, this same Jesus that you saw taken up from you is going to come back in like manner as He went away. So, the same way that He went away is the exact same way He's coming back. That's not too hard, is it? That's not too confusing, is it? Folks who like to follow directions down here, they like to get from place A to place B. You tell them directions. If you can't tell them directions, you've got to show them directions. They like for you to show them the same thing repeatedly, right? Like if you had to come to my house a period of days. If I take you there, you'd like me to kind of go the same path every time so that you can get familiar with your surroundings, correct? You don't want me taking the shortcut around the backside of the neighborhood that you ain't never seen. Jesus is the same way. This is a pattern that will be repeated the exact same way. Now, if we can figure out how He's coming back, 
We can find out a little bit of how he went away, right? That makes sense, right? You ever read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, about verse 16, where it says, The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. Voice of the archangel and the trump of God. There are a lot of differences between folk on this planet as to interpretations of scriptures. I have never met anybody whose understanding of 1 Thessalonians was anything different than the second coming of Christ. When he comes back the second time, this is what will happen. He will descend from heaven with a shout. Voice of the archangel and the trump of God. Well, if that's the way he's coming back, how did he go away? God went up with a shout. The sound of the trumpet. Now listen. If they're blowing that trumpet in Leviticus, in the year of Jubilee, in the year of deliverance, and they're blowing the trumpet when Christ went away in Acts 1. Kind of lets you understand that there's a year of Jubilee going on, right? There's some deliverance that is happening, right? In Romans chapter 5, Apostle Paul addresses this issue. In Leviticus 25 verse 9, he told us to blow the trumpet in the year of Jubilee, and there's a word right in the middle of that text, atonement, right there in Leviticus 25 verse 9. That word only appears in the New Testament one time. It's important, the Bible you read. It is important what you read because when these doors, these words are removed for easier sounding things, more pleasant sounding things, you close doorways of golden truth forever. Romans chapter 5, verse 11, verse 10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son... Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Is that hard to understand? What's going to save you? Your obedience? Your baptism? Your faith? Your good works? Your godly living? Your speaking in tongues? What's going to save you? None of that's going to save you. We'll be saved by His life. Not mine, not yours, His and His alone. Notice this, verse 11. And not only so, but we also joy. This should be a joyful sound. You are a blessed character if you understand this joyful sound. This trumpet that is blowing. You know, Isaiah said in Isaiah 51, lift up thy voice like a trumpet. Declare unto Israel. Not only shall we be saved by His life, but this also we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom we have now received the atonement. Why did they blow a trumpet when Christ went away? You're a jubilee. We've received the atonement. The high priest went into the holy place. There was a sound when he went into the holy place. He went up with a shout. He went up with the trump of God. He walked right into heaven. And John is standing there. John has this vision in Revelation chapter chapter 5, of, of one seated upon a throne and a book in his hand, sealed with seven seals. And it, it's, not a, it's not a book like what we have. 
where it's, where it's flat over like this. It's not a book like that. It's, it's a scroll where you, where you take it and you have this long scroll and you, you start at one end and you roll, roll for a certain point and then you seal that. And you roll a little bit further and you seal that and you roll a little bit. You got this great big old, it's like a Swiss cake. Sealed with seven seals. So that you could break one seal, read that, break the second seal, read that. Here is this scroll, this book, this sealed thing in the hand of him that sits upon the throne. The Ancient of Days, as Daniel called him. And there was no man in heaven found worthy to take the book and to loose the seals thereof. No man in heaven, no man in earth, no man under the earth, as John writes. And he says, I wept greatly. But behold, an angel came and touched me and said, he says, behold, the Lamb of God hath appeared. See, there wasn't a man in heaven. There wasn't a man on earth. There wasn't a man buried under the earth. There was one suspended between heaven and earth. As if rejected by both of them. That when he went into heaven, into the presence of the Ancient of Days, the angel shouted, and he said, worthy is the Lamb. Thou art worthy. For thou hast redeemed us to God by thy blood. Wait a minute. That's not the angels. Angels weren't redeemed. Who was redeemed to God by the blood of Christ? We were. So... So if the doctrine of soul sleep is true, that when you die, you just kind of sleep in the grave and there's nobody in heaven, who are these redeemed singing to God? These are the departed souls of, of, of just men made perfect by the blood of Christ. That's who's before the throne. And that's who's singing this song. That's who's saying, Thou hast redeemed us to God by Thy blood. Out of every kindred and nation and tribe and tongue and people. Oh, man. Blessed is the people that know the joyful sound. Do you not consider yourself a blessed character to be able to truly understand the finished work of Jesus Christ? Do you not consider yourself a truly blessed character to be able to sit in the assembly of God's people and hear the songs of Zion song. You know, sometimes I go to these other places and, and the singing is okay, but as soon as the band strikes up, the band's a lot louder than the singing people. And the people kind of drift into the background and the, the band becomes the central theme. There's a man that's a bluegrass musician. His name is Ralph Stanley. Most anybody that knows anything about bluegrass music knows Ralph Stanley. If you've seen the movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? He wrote the song, Man of Constant Sorrows. Uh, and he wrote that, Oh Death. They sang right at the end of it. He's responsible for that. He grew up a primitive Baptist in the hills of Kentucky. He was being interviewed one time. Well... I preface this. I think I was, told, I was either told this or I heard this. I hope it's true. If it's not, the application will be. But they say, well, you're a bluegrass singer. But primitive Baptists, they don't, they don't use musical instruments. I bet them primitive Baptists didn't buy none of your records. He said they bought every record I ever made. They didn't mind the records I made. They didn't mind the fiddle I played. They just didn't want my fiddle in their singing services. Absolutely. I guess you could say that we didn't want him fiddling with our singing. That reference may be vile in so many ways, but it is true. We didn't want him fiddling with our services. Our services are just fine. Be able to sit and listen to the singing saints. When you've been bombarded for two or three days with. 
the sound of noise and war. To sit and listen to the sound singing of the saints is a joyful sound. Bring tears to your eyes and joy to your heart. We are a blessed people because we know the joyful sound. Thank you.